1: Morning and welcome everyone to live Dharma Sunday for December twenty third, twenty eighteen. Koyo Kobosa here, so very very glad you joined us. Yep going down the home stretch of twenty eighteen. Uh yesterday uh our family and relatives locally here in central California uh Japanese American um uh, tradition or, or uh, custom at the end of the year uh, is to make mochi. What is mochi? It's sort of they call it a rice cake, but it's not really a a cake. It's special kind of sweet rice that's not like regular rice, okay? But that sweet rice is not really sweet. It's plain. Okay, but you have to use this rice too, and then you traditionally the the um it was to pound it with a wooden mallet in a big stone um dugout shaped mortar and pestle type of a thing, and you pound it, you cooked it in a special way, then you pounded it, okay, and then when it got kind of all uh, no more rice grains, but it's all kind of sticky. And then uh, maybe it's a certain size, a mass. And then you take a little, uh, maybe uh, a baseball size or golf size ball type of a size. And then you make it into a little round cake-like thing. And that's a, that's called mochi.
0: <laughs>
1: and I remember... My mom used to, on New Year's time, one time she shared something when, uh, you know, a lot of times on New Year's Day, uh, Japanese-American population, they used to go visit each other, friends and so forth on uh, New Year's Day. And on New Year's Day, you know, as I said, at the end of the year, you make this mochi. And um, uh, some of the... uh, my mom's uh maybe it was a tea student i don't know, but uh caucasian american and they and and the conversation was about mochi and then she goes, yeah, I know what that mochi I know what mochi is she said, its the white stuff that you chew and chew and nothing happens <laughs> that's pretty good because you nobody eats mochi like that, you know like a rice cake you have to put uh, kinako, which is kind of a brown Swedish powder. You eat it with that. Or you put soy sauce and sugar and you mix it up. And then you just kind of toast the mochi. Okay? Uh, so that, And then you can dip it in there. Or you could put the mochi into kind of a soup base. Okay? And it gets real soft and everything. So there's all these ways to eat the mochi. And if if it's a Japanese-American home that has a obutsudan or a home altar, they do what's called osonai, which is a food offering, you know. And um, sometimes some people said, why do you offer food, you know, to uh, uh, on an altar or in front of a Buddha statue? And he uh, says, well, it's sort of like... Um, just uh, paying respect, okay. Some, and of course, something like fruit or sweets, or um, uh, when you receive something to show some kind of a grat- certain kind of gratitude and respect, you might put that on a little tray in in front of your altar. Okay, it's not superstitious that you think you offer food, and the and the gods will you know, enjoy it. Okay. Not like that kind of superstition, but I remember there was a story in, um, Buddhist literature about, a I think his name was Ipen, a famous, uh, folklore, little boy who became a, a monk. But as a little boy, he was very preco- precocious. And, uh, one time he, he, uh, and at his home, he broke a vase, and it was all shattered on the floor. And when his parents came home, he said, Oh, Hep, doesn't you talk about the Dharma, that uh, everything's impermanent? <laughs> you know? And with regard to mochi that was offered as Osunai food offering at the home altar, he ate one. Okay? Then he heard his parents coming home, so he got another one that was there and rubbed it on the Buddha's Statue's mouth, and then, <laughs> then when his parents came home, and he said, "Hey, how come there's mochi missing here?" He said, oh, I guess the Buddha must have ate it. So there's all these kind of stories and everything, but it's a very festive event. Uh, <clears throat> and as I said, traditionally it was done all by hand. Nowadays they have machine. You put the cooked rice in, in the rice in there, and then the machine cooks it and kneads it. Old style, and a lot of temples do this as a, a temple activity. They they might maintain that um, wooden mallet and um, stone mortar or pedestal, and uh, and everybody get a chance to pound the rice, and somebody kind of turns it a little bit. Next person pounds it, turn it, pound, turn it, pound, turn it. Pound, turn it. And so forth. So, And, of course, it's wintertime, end of the year. And, you know, the whole social hall gets uh, steamy and everything. And all the ladies are at another table with uh, cornstarch type of powder on there with uh, white paper. And then they're shaping these little ones. Well, sometimes they do. I take it back that sometimes the mochi has on inside the middle. And that is a sweet. Uh, sweetened bean Uh, and um, so in that case you could eat it plain and it's uh, it is like a rice cake (laughs) so if you have a mochi with an uh, or some kind of a sweet thing in the middle then yeah you, you could chew it and then something will happen you'll get a nice sweet thing in the middle but anyway so we do this every year Uh, many families, Japanese-American ancestry, they do it, okay? So it's a family ritual. And there's something special about uh, extended family getting together, uh, you know, where um, adult children have children, and maybe they have it at the parents' place, and, so there's grandchildren and there's nieces and nephews and cousins, okay, get together, and this working together. Uh, sometimes we, not exactly take for granted, but uh, karmic impact of extended family gatherings, okay, whether it's on for some holiday, whether it's. For hunting Easter eggs, whether it's making mochi, um, uh, the importance of a healthy family and relatives' social system. Everybody would agree with that, and they know that, okay? Um, But it's so important, and yet it's kind of intangible. We don't rarely say... Oh yeah, I'm the way I am because I came from a good family. Or especially if you say somebody's gonna uh, marry somebody else, and then you might say, "Well, what's their family like?" And if they come from a dysfunctional family, or maybe if the whole family's criminals or something, you think twice before become friends or marry that person, or you know, they go into their social circle. Um, so we get influenced by those around us, okay? our friends and family. Huh? And my one of my Dharma colleagues used to say, uh, you know, we share life together. Okay, He always used to say that, that phrase, sharing life together. Okay? And you might think that that's a common thing. And it sort of is a common thing. You get together, family and friends, on some kind of an, occasion, whether it's a birthday party, Easter, or, you know, Fourth of July for fireworks, something. But you just get together and you have fun. Enjoy each other's company. You share life together. What kind of impact does that have on the little children, okay? They don't think too much of it, little children, but when they get out of adults, okay, and whether they share that, continue that family custom or not, whatever the activity is, okay. they say, oh, I remember, this is what we used to do all the time. We used to go to grandma's house and things like this. Okay. This minister used to always say, oh, so nice to share life together. Okay. You might not think that that's a great teaching, but I think it is. To recognize, to be aware, it's, Oh, man, we're sharing life together. Okay. Okay, I want to turn to our guest who's going to give us a Dharma glimpse today. His name is Evan Cawley, and he's currently enrolled in our lay minister program. uh, He's part of the 11th group, LM11. (laughs) Uh, It was a pretty large group that applied uh, last August and... yeah, this no, 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 this present, this August 2018, we had, you know, quite a group. So we split it for the first time. We split it into into two groups. So we have LM11A and LM11B, okay, because since they do the conference call and discuss each other's written reports on assigned readings, you can't have too big of a group for that conference call. Uh, and so... Uh, If we get, you know, maybe a dozen people, it's too big, so we might split it into two groups of six. And uh, that was the first time we did it. And then, um, so he will, LM11 will matriculate or uh, graduate, or we call it lay minister induction, uh, May of 2019. So LM11 is pretty far along last August I mean this past August was l m twelve group yeah okay, I might have said the wrong thing start date on that and uh that word of mouth recommendations through our program l m twelve has so many people over twenty we have to make three groups okay. uh, and of course we've been doing all these you know twelve years or so we have a pool of about or maybe over 50 bright lay ministers. And so we could tap them to, hope be, to teach the curriculum courses, okay, and to sort of coordinate the different groups and everything. So we're really rolling along, and uh, that's tremendous, okay. So Evan Colley is part of the 11th group, LM11, and he lives in, Idaho, it's kind of amazing when you think about it, people from all parts of the country, they're able to get together and talk about each other's reports. Okay, um,
0: Evan Cawley. I would like to talk about one of the parts of the Eightfold Path that is the most meaningful to me. Action is important, however. It's nothing without effort. When you use the right action once, that's great. However, oftentimes something requires you to act repeatedly, and that action of acting repeatedly is the wise effort. I recently needed to find a new job, and I applied to many jobs. I could have applied to just one job, and that would have been a wise action. However, I applied to over a hundred jobs to find the job that was right for me. That action of applying for many jobs is the wise effort that we need to be putting into our lives. In conclusion, wise effort is actually just wise action repeatedly done. Thank you. Short but sweet.
1: Sometimes it is it is so nice to go back to the basic Buddhist teaching, Gautama Buddha, you know, first, uh, well, we don't say sermon in, really in the Buddhism, but, you know, in the, through the Enlightenment, the first talk he gave, okay, four noble truths, and the fourth noble truth is the Eightfold Path. And we had the Dharma Wheel with the eight spokes, International symbol of Buddhism. They often talk about the first turning of the wheel. When you got a wheel, you know, it's something dynamic because it moves. And uh, the Buddhist wheel looks like a mariner's steering wheel on a ship. It's got eight spokes and then then the hub and kinds of... uh, a symbolism has developed over the years, um, and uh, but each spoke of the eight spokes represents one of the eightfold paths. and as mentioned, uh, you know there's right understanding, uh, right meditation, right livelihood, right speech, and uh, you know the Buddha was very pragmatic. Yeah, these are not commandments. And kind of a very subtle Eastern teaching is, you know, what do you mean by right? Right understanding, right effort. Uh, as has been said, it's kind of hard to explain, but you say, well, it's not right in a dualistic sense, right versus or wrong. But what does some people, what, is the, what does right mean? Some people su- suggest uh Synonym is wholesome. Okay. So you should engage in wholesome. You know, not, don't lie. Don't, you know, shout out in anger and so forth. Um, so it behooves us to, if we wanted to go a little bit deeper, so well, what exactly does right mean? And what does any one of those eightfold paths, how how can I personalize it in my own life? Okay. And, uh, Palmer Glimpse is saying, well, uh, I'm going to look at right effort because he was involved in job hunting, you know, and anyone that's, has gone job hunting, that is a daunting emotional task because you're like, uh, on a meat market. People, you know, you go and then uh, you get an interview or whatever, you know, uh, and you're wondering whether you got the job or not, and they're, you know they're, you're being evaluated. That's not really pleasant for anybody. Huh? It's a, kind of like an emotional roller coaster. You get your hopes up, and okay, did they call me back? And then all of a sudden, you might get beat out by some other applicant. Huh?
0: Uh,
1: and I think right effort, okay, uh, as the Dimer glimpse. Emphasized it. Uh, Perseverance. Keep going. (laughs) One of my pet phrases, I guess. Uh, It might involve patience, termination, right effort. Of course, you might say doing something 100%, not giving up, persistence right effort Uh, maybe you could uh, get even more subtler and say uh, there's something that's coming out from you that's beyond a dualism of oh I've got to try hard but if you love someone or if you uh, there's no trace of ego or self-centeredness in that effort, effortless effort you know it's you don't praise the bud because it bloomed into a flower. It's the way it is. See? Sometimes somebody asks the Picasso, hey, How come you paint in that kind of a style? He goes, ah, I go ask a bird why it sings. Something where, or, or like my father used to say, how an sp- underground spring bubbles up and the water comes out. Um, uh, how to live when you think about it. Huh? It does take effort, but that's where you get into the Buddhist terminology, effortless effort. A lot of phrases like that, meaningless meaning. You know, my mom used to teach tea. uh, Chano Yu or commonly called tea ceremony. They really, none of the people involved in tea like that word, tea ceremony. It's hot water for tea, but it's an aesthetic art. Okay. And um so, well, one time a reporter came, newspaper reporter, and we write an article, feature article on tea ceremony, and came to interview my mom. And now maybe this is not a good example because it's the it's the reporter's job to to get a lot of information. So he's asked all these questions like, how come you teacup down here this way? How come you hold this thing that way? And everything. Uh, and my mom afterwards was thinking gee uh, well, one time I think in the interview she said there's no meaning <laughs> We're just the way we do it you know uh, there's two worlds there sort of okay? well, what's the meaning what's the purpose of doing that okay purposeless purpose meaningless meaning and I think it goes to effort, too. You can't say it's no effort. You can't say exactly effortless, but there's effort in there, so you have to say effortless effort. <laughs> okay, Meaningless meaning. Okay. Something that's there without the duality of a subject, acting subject and self-consciousness of it. Uh, and so you, you could get these layers... Uh, uh, texture of different teachings, okay? Don't say, oh yeah, I understand that teaching and put a period on it, okay? No periods in Buddhism, okay? You keep going. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, oh ho, keep going and you have a beautiful day.